brought a prop, and I need to hold it up later. <laughs> um, this is a swimming pool, um, and I'm, I'm sure you, um, uh, you've, you've heard maybe of this uh, uh, illustration before, but if this swimming pool the, represents your relationship with God, I wonder where you are in your relationship with God. So some of them are sort of waiting at the edges. They're doing, they're distracted. I mean, there are, some people are talking to each other. Maybe some of them are working on their laptops or reading newspaper um, that's there. Some of them are, have their feet um, sort of dipped into the pool itself and just sort of uh, waiting to see if the pool's warm enough to go in to swim. Some of them are in, but maybe waist in, but some of them are actually swimming in the, in, in the water itself with the full, uh, body fully uh, submerged. There are many of us here, um, all on the same journey, but in different places. In John chapter 20, we also see that there are actually just many, many different sorts of people in John 20. Uh, in the story of the resurrection, there are the disciples, there is Mary, Thomas, and surprisingly, actually, we are in that story in John chapter 20 as well. So let's take a look at this chapter, which is a firsthand eyewitness account of the resurrection day. And, and the story of the empty tomb, and let's see where they are, and let's see then examine ourselves, and let's see where we are. So, we often say seeing is believing. But even when everybody sees the same thing, I'm sure you've had the experience of people seeing different things. And even as people see some things, some people refuse to believe that that is what's happening in front of them. Take Mary Magdalene. She comes at the dusk on Sunday morning. On that Easter morning, she comes to finish the job of burying the dead. And she arrives and she sees the stone that has been rolled away. But she doesn't conclude that Jesus is risen, right? Because she's afraid and she goes, and she goes to the disciples saying, thinking that somebody has robbed, the, uh, robbed uh, Jesus' body, robbed the tomb. Later on in verse 11, Mary will go back to the tomb. And when she looks in, she sees more things. She sees the angels sitting, two angels at the tomb. And and they ask in verse 13, why are you crying? But she doesn't really see anything quite yet. She answers them and she turns around. And then we're told in verse 14, astonishingly, Jesus is standing there. She sees Jesus. But she doesn't see Jesus yet. And, she, and, and it's Jesus who now asked, why are you crying? She assumes that this is a gardener, cemetery gardener who's come to do the garden work. And she calls him sir. Then I think Jesus had enough of it because in verse 16, she calls her name out. She says, finally, Mary. And it's only then she recognizes Jesus. And remember, you see how the name, what, what she calls Jesus, changes. She called him Sir before, but now she calls him Rabboni in Aramaic. She thinks that the risen Christ is a teacher. That she might have, uh, so she might have fell and she grabs and holds on to Jesus' legs. And so Jesus says, um, 
don't hold on to me because she doesn't understand that Jesus' work isn't completely accomplished. I mean, she not, uh, Jesus needs to ascend into heaven and, uh, and she, he, he will have to return more permanently. The, the days when we can hold on to Jesus is not yet. But maybe she wised up in that process a bit because when she goes back to the disciples to tell the disciples that she has seen the risen Lord, that's what she exactly says. I have seen the Lord. So she goes from Sir Raboni to the Lord. Seeing wasn't exactly believing for Mary, not at first, not, not right away at least. Jesus had to, has, had to prod her along. Jesus had to address her directly. And it's only then she came to believe that Jesus is the Lord. And there might be some of you who are waiting, waiting a bit, like uh, Mary, waiting to hear Jesus, waiting to, for God to address you directly, maybe even by name. You want the voice from heaven to tell you that God is alive. And then there are the disciples. We're told in verses 19 and 20 that the risen Christ came somehow through the locked doors and showed them his hands and his side. We're told that the disciples were overjoyed in verse 20, and because they saw the Lord, they believed. When Thomas, who missed this exciting event, comes in later on, the disciples shout out to him in verse 25, we have seen the Lord. They believe that Jesus is the Christ because they saw, they saw the risen Lord. And then there is Thomas. The poor guy wasn't there when, when Jesus appeared to the disciples. So he says, unless he sees Jesus, like everybody else did, unless he gets to put his finger at the nail mark and put his hands on the side, until then, he won't believe. And boy, I think he must have been super embarrassed within a week because Jesus appears within a week. He says peace to all of you. And then he talks to Thomas right away, right? He turns to Thomas and says, put your finger here and put your hand on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Thomas believes. He believes, and he, in fact, he makes the most astonishing claim in this gospel and probably all of uh, the gospels. He doesn't just say, he, my, my Lord. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus then gently rebukes Thomas and says that he should have believed even before seeing him, right? That's what he says in verse 29. Take a look at verse 9. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are, uh, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. We're pretty sure that Jesus isn't just talking to Thomas here. That John is recording this conversation with people like us in mind. People who have to believe without having seen Jesus because we don't have access to the risen Christ. Not yet, at least. But you might be asking, well, that seems to be an unfair thing, isn't it? How are we supposed to believe when we haven't seen Christ? It looks like everybody in this story saw Jesus before they believed. Everybody in this story confessed Jesus to be the Christ because they saw Jesus. And seeing and believing is paired in, this, in, in the Gospel of John, and in, in John chapter 20 particularly. 
But actually, that's not true. <laughs> I set you up. Um, uh, in John chapter 20, there is one person who believes in Jesus without having seen Jesus in person. So let's go back to the second scene in verse 3. After hearing the news of, uh, from Mary Magdalene, Peter and the other disciple in this story run to the tomb. And this other disciple we know from Gospel of John is John himself. Peter, reaching the tomb first, looks in in verse 5 and sees the strips of linen, one that sort of covered, one held the, that, that held the jaw together um, there and the one that covered the body. He sees the, the linen, strips of linen there lying on the ground. He doesn't see the risen Christ, but he has seen the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. He should have believed. After all, Jesus had predicted that this is what was going to happen many times before. Now, if you still don't think that that's what he should have done, um, look at what happens when John arrives. The beloved disciple runs, and he arrives, and he goes in, and we're told, incredibly, in verse 8, that he saw and believed. John believes there in verse 8 without having seen the risen Lord because he saw the evidence of the resurrection. And that makes sense of what he says later on, right? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John's telling us that we should be like him who have seen the evidence and believed. The disciples should have believed because Mary ran to the disciples and told them that the tomb was empty. Mary should have believed in the first, first instance when she walked in and she saw the angels there. She saw Jesus there. She should have believed. Thomas should have believed because the tomb was empty, because Jesus predicted his resurrection many, many times, because 10 out of 11 of his buddies told them that they saw the risen Lord. You don't have to see the risen Lord in order to believe in Jesus. There are plenty of evidence to believe. We haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen the risen Lord, but Thomas did. Thomas did. He went all the way to India proclaiming that he had seen the risen Lord, that there is life in him. We haven't seen the risen Lord, but Peter did. Remember how Peter goes all the way to Rome. And actually, it's uh, predicted, um, Jesus predicted his death in John chapter 21, verse 18. He says there, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you, uh, where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus says, somebody else will stretch out your hand and lead you to the place you do not want to go. This is a prediction of Peter's death. Peter is supposed to have been crucified upside down. We haven't seen the risen Lord, but John did. The apostle John did, and he writes this gospel and this is what he says. The purpose of writing this thing is, in verse, uh, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have a first-hand account here, the eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection. And this isn't a blind leap of faith. Blind leap of faith is never something that you should do. You might break your ankle and leg by doing that. This isn't a shot in the dark. This is faith built on evidence. 
faith that's built on the resurrection. And secondly, Easter is history, therefore. Easter is history. It's not about the bunnies and the eggs that are legendary, that are made up. This is about Jesus of Nazareth. John is emphatic. John is emphatic that he's bearing witness to something that he has seen and touched and heard. That is why he wants people to believe, because he saw it, and he wants you to believe it now. And unlike many religions that cannot be proved, because there are more sort of philosophies of life, Buddhism is a philosophy of life, isn't it? You have to really live it in order to test it out. Or um, some, some religions can't, can't be tested because the secrets are guarded, uh, like Masons or Scientology. But Jesus' life, death and the resurrection, happened in history. It has a focal point that you can investigate. One can go back and see if this is believable. And there are many reasons to believe in the resurrection. And I don't, want, I don't have time to go over all of it, but I just want to point out just a few. First, resurrection doesn't sound made up. If you were making it up, you would make it up in a different way or you would make it up a better way. Um, just uh, let me give you a couple of examples of this. One is just Mary Magdalene and the women at the, at, at the tomb first arriving. I hate to say this, but at the time, women weren't regarded as, as reliable witnesses. They weren't uh, called upon in, in a court trial um, to, because they just weren't um, viewed as reliable witnesses. In fact, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, that great chapter on the resurrection that Paul writes, at the end of that chapter, or well, at the middle of that chapter, um, when the tradition had some time to sort itself out, women actually disappear completely. When, jo- when Paul recounts the resurrection in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 5 and 6, it's, it just says that Jesus appeared to Peter and the disciples and to the 500. Women just disappear. Because women weren't regarded as reliable witnesses. The reason why this is happening, this is recorded as Mary and the women arriving at the tomb, was because it happened. Because women arrived at the tomb. Because they were the first witnesses of the resurrection. And there are other unlikely elements of the story as well. When Daniel, for example, imagines the the, the Son of Man coming back, Son of Man is shining like a star. But the thing about this story is that he looks completely ordinary. In fact, Mary mistakes him for a gardener. There's nothing really extraordinary about the ris- this risen Lord. If you were making up a resurrection story, wouldn't you make Jesus, I don't know, glowing <laughs> with a halo at least or something? And the bodily resurrection, also the bodily resurrection, wasn't something that they were expecting. That's why the disciples didn't, didn't, just didn't think that this, was, this was a possibility. The Jews weren't expecting it. The Greek, Greeks despised uh, the, uh, bodily resurrection. They, they thought that, that, that the goal was to escape from the body, not come back to the body. If you were making it up at this time, you would make it up a different, in a different way. So it doesn't sound made up. But then there is also more evidence. There are all sorts of evidences of the empty tomb. Empty tomb. You see, John is speaking to people who could have gone to Jerusalem and checked to see if Jesus was buried anywhere. They could have gone and checked 
the people that the early Christians were speaking to were speaking about the resurrection to people who, would have, who might even have known Jesus, who, knew, who would have known exactly where Jesus was buried. But no one, not even the Roman authorities or Jewish leaders, ever claimed in history that the tomb was right there. And, and, and well, the tomb was right there, that the, 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 the tomb contained Jesus' body. What they do instead is to invent stories about disciples stealing the body, despite having no motive or opportunity to do so. Something happened to Jesus' body. Something happened. The tomb, when, it, uh, when people arrived at the tomb, they saw that the body was missing. There was the evidence of the empty tomb. There are many more reasons to believe in the resurrection, but I just want to give you one more. Lives of the disciples testify to this point. Something that really convinced, something really convinced that the disciples, um, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the, the giver of life, the risen Lord himself. Before the appearance of Jesus, disciples were cowards. They all flee. They all run away back to their homes. But something happened after, because 10 out of the 12, everyone except um, Judas, Judas who betrayed Jesus, and John who was exiled and died a natural death but in, in, in exile, 10 out of the 12 died proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. They say that they, they died telling people that they have seen the risen Lord, that with their eyes they have seen the risen Lord. And if you think, well, this is a hallucination, well, well, is it just one, I mean, one person that's credible, but 10 people? And also, if you weren't sure, really, would you die for a lie that you just made up? Would you, would you be willing to stake your life for this? But this is what happens. And not just that, within a few weeks of the crucifixion, Jewish people began abandoning their lifelong faith and began to put their faith in Christ Jesus even though that meant persecution from the family, even though that meant being kicked out from the family, because they saw the evidence of the empty tomb. They saw what was happening, and they saw that this was more credible to believe than to doubt. Case for Christ is written by uh, Lee Strobel, who set out to write a refutation of Christianity. Uh, he's a trained journalist, so he went and interviewed many people around all the Christian scholars and weighed the evidence for and against Christianity. And at the end of his book, he, he writes this. Um, he writes this. I'll admit it. I am ambushed by the amount, of quality of the ev- amount and the quality of evidence that Jesus is the unique Son of God. I sat at my desk on Sunday afternoon. I shook my head in amazement. I had seen defendant carted off to death chamber on much, much less convincing evidence. The cumulative fact and data pointed unmistakably to a conclusion that I was entirely uncomfortable reaching. The atheism I had embraced for so long buckled under the weight of the historical truth. He becomes a Christian. He gives his life for Jesus, to Jesus because he saw the evidence that pointed to the resurrection and to the life of Christ. So, going back to the swimming pool, why are some of you wading around the edges? Is it really because there is not enough evidence there? Mary saw everything. 
She saw the empty tomb. She saw the angels. She even saw the risen Christ. Is it really because there's lack of evidence? Have you investigated the Christian faith? Have you seen the historical evidence? And isn't it enough? That's, isn't, it, isn't it enough there? You know them already. And some of you are waiting around the edges of the pool because you are waiting for God to speak to you directly, God to address you directly like he did graciously to Mary and to Thomas. But Jesus says that's not necessary. Happy are those, blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet, and yet have believed. John says that there is enough evidence for you to go and put your life into the hands of Jesus. In fact, if you're waiting around the edges and you, don't, you, you, you are hoping to see Jesus, Jesus actually says you shouldn't. You really shouldn't hope to see me because when you see me next, it won't actually be a, such a happy event. This is what he writes, uh, what Jesus said in Matthew uh, 24, 30. At, at that time, the sign, uh, the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of the sky with great power and great glory. This will be a time when we see Jesus again in real person. This will be a time of his second coming. It will be a great time of joy for many who have put their trust in Jesus, but also a, a time of mourning for many people. So, message that Jesus gives is get ready, get ready, not wait around. And John writes so that we can get ready. He writes so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, that was John chapter 20, verse 31. And that faith isn't just nice, warm, and fuzzy feeling. It has an object, Jesus of Nazareth. Faith that Jesus is uh, the Christ, the Messiah, and Son of God. And that's not the end either. There's a reason why we put our faith in Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 31 that by believing you may have life in my name. By believing we receive life. And that's what Jesus said earlier in John chapter 10, 10, right? That famous verse, that he has come to give us life and life that's abundant. So this is not just about life after death. Yes, it is true what the, that the resurrection shows that there is life after death. Um, I, I didn't realize that Carol was going to join us. Carol is here. Carol will see her father again because she and the father had put their hope in Jesus. And the relationship that we cherish, that will continue if we have put our, our faith in Christ. Death will not be the end. We will not just disintegrate and decompose into the ground, our bodies and, and, and brain just into oblivion. Um, there is a afterlife. But it's not just about being reunited with our loved one. That's not what Easter is about. That's not what the resurrection is about. I've been talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to just take us there. Um, I want to quote uh, him and say, see how he concludes um, after, seeing, uh, after his discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is a great chapter on the resurrection that Paul explains. In that final verse, 
of the chapter, he writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He doesn't say that we shouldn't be afraid of dying, although that's true. We shouldn't be afraid of dying. Jesus will guide us uh, through our death. He doesn't say that you will just see your loved ones again, although that is true. What he says is stand firm. Let nothing move you. And give yourself, give your life, give your work fully to the work of the Lord. Because what you do in the Lord will not be in vain. What he talks about is your life, your work, how you lived, what you have done. All those things will not be in vain because there will be a resurrection. Because death will not just take all those things away and death will not just make everything just useless and futile. What he's talking about really is the new creation. Once again, I go back to the common misperception about work and life. Because of the resurrection, you should stop saying things like what you do for the church in the church will, uh, matters, uh, is eternal, but what you do at home, what you do at work um, is, 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 is not important. That would be true if death was the end and escape to heaven is the, is the goal. If bodiless existence is what we're hoping for. But the point of the resurrection is that God will raise our bodies up again. God will raise this whole new earth. God will create this whole earth and heaven again. And what you do in your body in the present time matters because God has a great future for it. This is how Bishop Tom Wright um, puts it. What you do in the present by painting, by preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing, for, uh, writing poems, caring, uh, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all these, all these things will last into God's future. All of this matters because it won't just disappear. It won't just disappear and we'll go to heaven. That's not what, the, what, what, what Christianity says. Christianity says there will be a new life, that we will come back to earth with the body. There will be a new world that will be coming. When Christ comes back, the heaven and earth will be renewed. Once again, um, Bishop Wright is, is the bishop of, well, used to be the bishop of Durham. Um, and, and Durham has a beautiful cathedral. And he actually talks about the, this cathedral in his book, A Surprise by Hope. And he talks about, once again, the stonemason, who might be told by the architect to cut out a little piece of stone. The stonemason doesn't really understand um, why he's cutting out the stone and how he, it fits into um, the overall work, but he does. But later on, as the architect puts all these stones together, he sees the stone that he made right there, and you see how important part that was because it was holding up this arch that's a part of this beautiful arch that, that, uh, that, that the architect was building. Every piece of stone contributes. And what you do now in your body, what we do now on earth matters because God through us 
is building for God's kingdom that will come. And that's what the resurrection shows. That's why we work. That's why we give our money away. That's why we make time for others. That's why we make sacrifices. Why we volunteer for Sunday school, come up to, uh, to, to set up early um, on Sunday morning to clean up. This is why we take to time to help the people who are in need. This is why we work and, as, uh, and work as working for the Lord. This is why we forgive and this is why we love. Because God through us is building God's kingdom. Because what we do on earth will have a part in the new creation. That's the resurrection hope that we're given. And so Paul concludes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our life is not in vain. What you do in the Lord will not be in vain. God will have a place for it. So if you're waiting uh, around the edges, jump in. Jump in. Because this is... um, uh, 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 Sorry, one more thing. Uh, uh, One of my favorite movies... um, uh, um, In Braveheart, um, William Wallace dies saying, not every man, um, uh, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And I really think that it's the people who have the hope of the resurrection who can live truly. Because we have a purpose. We know that our work will not be in vain. We can give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We can love fully because our work in the Lord will not be in vain. And I hope with the resurrection hope that your life, that you will give yourselves fully to the Lord and and the Lord's work. Amen.